every generation there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Welcome to Conversations with Dead People, a post-mortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. Uh, my name is Paul Smith. I'm your host, and I am typically joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia as we make our way through the critically acclaimed series Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its spin-off series Angel, eventually. We'll get there. Uh, this week, we've made it to uh, Buffy episodes 415, This Year's Girl, and 416, Who Are You? Uh, and talking with me this time is... Uh, well, uh, this guest might come as a surprise to some of you. Well, okay, probably not. You probably already saw the name in the episode title, but uh, what will certainly, what will most definitely come as a surprise uh, to any regular listeners out there uh, is that um, there have been some scheduling issues trying to get this darn episode up and running. I know you're shocked, I can tell, but... Uh, Fortunately, uh, stepping in at the last minute, uh, thanks to some Katra device body swapping mumbo jumbo, um, this year's Arlo, the prodigal conversationalist Arlo Wiley joins us for the very first time. Arlo, welcome. Sup, P. <laughs> wow. I'm, don't ever that do that. That felt right. Don't know. That felt right. No, nothing about that was right. <laughs> so, um... All right, we'll address this really briefly. Um, why why haven't you been on the show before this, man? <laughs> briefly, he says. Cut to five hours later. Um, no, so uh, I'm Paul's co-host on Gobbledygeek, uh, which you may or may not know. That's a great podcast, gobbledygeekpodcast.com. Listen to it now. Five million episodes. Wow. Um, in in all the years of doing that podcast, that's the first time, time you've rattled off the uh, the web address correctly on the first try. I, it's usually, I usually get the URL right. It's the email I don't get right. Um, they're the same thing. <laughs> this, uh, it, it's fine. This was my idea initially, this whole podcast. Um, Paul and I were going to co-host it. Some interesting occurrences occurred uh that led to me bailing on the podcast um this this really is um this would be a five-hour podcast if we delved into that whole journey um but i i am basically so in this situation i uh i am this year's arlo I, i i am faith i'm coming back to uh sunnydale which is this podcast uh paul which which makes you Buffy. Damn you. Don't, don't. I, I, I know how much you, you've always aspired to be like Buffy Summers. Yeah, I will edit that stuff right out of it. <laughs> you were the, you were the gir- good and virtuous Buffy who always does the right thing. And I'm the, the lazy, violent, you know, 
overly sexual faith. I think we can all I think we can all agree when we think of Arlo, we think overtly sexual. Yeah, yeah. And I'm the stuck up tight ass with no sense of fun. Yeah. It's I <laughs> your words. I could do uh, anything I want, but instead I choose to pout and whine and feel the burden of podcasting. It's this is this this is really a revelation for me. This is I feel like we we're really having a moment right now. Yeah. All right. Well, this is uh that's my next uh, therapy session laid out for me. <laughs> so, yeah, this is the first time I've actually been on the show after everything that occurred. I feel like we actually do need to record a podcast about that now. Um, We've avoided it this long. Why, why do it now? And, uh, um, no, I, uh, I, I am stepping in at the last moment. Uh, I, obviously, I was not your first choice. Um, I was probably you know, 18th or 19th on the list, but... Here we are. I'm excited to be here. Uh, this is actually the first time I have watched Buffy in about two or three years. Oh, man. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, well, but you have, I, to, to be honest, I don't know where you stand now, like in the bigger picture, in the broad scheme of things. Um, I assume you're still a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I know... In the past, um, as as evidenced by the fact that this podcast was initially your idea and you fought for it for years, you you arm wrestled with me for years to make this podcast happen. You have at least at one time in your life been a super fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So, I uh, I am still a huge fan okay. of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It is my favorite TV show, um, possibly my favorite creative endeavor um i again don't really need to get into the nitty gritty details but yeah there there were some some things occurred in my life and outside of my life that uh kind of led me to taking a a slayer sabbatical um which is fair but But, um i am shocked to hear this is the first you've revisited in a couple years that that legitimately surprises me but i'm i'm not too concerned because you you are you're a professional I, podcaster, my friend, and uh, you. I've seen the show, um, I think, four times all the way through. Yeah. yeah. So I uh, and I've seen each episode an obnoxious amount of times. So I, even though this is my first time revisiting it in a few years, um, I could still tell you like every single thing that was happening in the plot, like surrounding these episodes and where it leads. Yeah, which is why I'm not at all concerned. You're. <laughs> You're way more down on this, uh, or up on this, whatever. You're way more <laughs> familiar with this than I am. Uh, as I've uh, recounted many times, I have seen the show all the way through uh, from the beginning, uh, but probably only once. I've revisited individual episodes, probably every individual episode multiple times, but this, uh, my rewatch for this podcast is the first time going back through from the beginning in order all the way through. So how uh has it been like revelatory for well, you like have you i mean m- maybe it's been mostly confounding i'm sure for my regular listeners it's been confounding because i te- i talk an awful lot about i i thought i remembered it this happening in a later episode or yeah i didn't remember this character popping up this earlier man i thought that character died a long time ago or whatever so i'm constantly uh reexamining my clearly shaky memory of the finer details and the, the layout of the show as a whole. But 
Uh, and then the, the rest of it has just been sort of my grappling with um, a, a new perspective on the show and the char characters, some characters more than others, um, sort of so many years removed from their original airing. Um, yeah. I've kind of, I haven't badmouthed him that much uh, in this most recent sort of run of episodes, but for a while Xander was kind of the whipping boy of this podcast. Uh, there's been a lot of sort of negative talk about Xander. Um, yeah, you know, that's, it's funny that you mentioned that. Um, if you, uh, most people probably don't know this exists and honestly good for them. Um, but way back in the early days of our blog, of the gobbledygeek website when we were actually, you know, pretending that we could write articles yeah. for the, the site. Um, I, so I probably was, uh, 20, mm -hmm. uh, 21, which doesn't seem like that long ago, but I feel like I am a completely different person in almost all <laughs> aspects. Um, and there had been an article by a written by a female critic whose name I honestly don't don't remember at this point um i haven't i haven't seen the name in quite a while i'm not sure if she's still writing um but she had written about how um because of xander's presence on the show and because of his consistent behavior and how often um the show or at least joss whedon himself seemed to be sympathetic to Xander that that in and of itself called into question the show's relationship to feminism. And so I wrote a defense of Xander. I think it was called Joss Whedon's yardstick or something. Yeah. I just found um, it. I just, uh, Oh God, so, do, do not link to it. I, I will see. We'll see how you oh, do God. on this episode. If you're a good we boy, can, maybe I won't, but uh, it's called, we, it's called Joss Whedon's yardstick, feminism, humanism, and Xander. So, so, I mean, if we link to it in the show notes, just put a disclaimer that it's <laughs> um, at, at the time, probably because I still saw in myself a lot of Xander. Uh -huh. um, I was strongly against that. And actually, that led to some discussion like with that, either with that critic or I believe it was with Mon her editor. Monica Bartizel, by the way, is the Monica Bartizel. Wow. I haven't heard that name in a while. Yeah. Um, but she's a much better writer than either one of us. Um, yes, true. And uh, at the time, I was just, I found the whole idea baffling. Well, in the years since, I, I find that, um, and feel free to laugh at me, Paul, because of our massive age gap, but I find that being in your early 20s, is completely different than being in your late twenties. Mm, yeah. I mean, I, f I feel like the, <clears throat> the perspective that I have now is not entirely removed from where I was then, but so much has changed, not just in my life, but you know, culturally, or at least if the culture, I'm not sure the culture has changed so much as my awareness of it has changed. And so I don't hate Xander. I don't I don't even dislike Xander. I still I still love I have a love for Xander. Um but yeah, Xander is kind of <laughs> the worst. Yeah. He's I mean kind of I mean he is he is the quintessential um 
self-loathing straight white nerd who is friends with as many women as possible um, to make himself feel better about the fact that he wants to have sex with all of them. Um, I, I let me, I'll tell you right now, I, I, I was that guy. Um, I'm like, I think Joss Whedon was that guy. Um, but, uh, yeah. So even just in these couple episodes, you know, Xander doesn't even really figure into it that much. Yeah. Um, and he does have some funny business with trying to, uh, get the gun, Riley's gun to turn back on. Right. Um, but even, and, and I, I know that he had sex with Faith. I know that happened. But Xander's entire contribution to these episodes is basically, we need to find out who she f***ing. Are we allowed to say this podcast? I know we are in Goblin Geek. I don't know how it is on... I'll I'll bleep I'll bleep it out. For some reason, I've decided to try and keep this particular podcast of all my various projects. I try to keep it PG. Some stuff has probably slipped through my uh, my inefficient editing, but um... so the podcast we did about the children's television series Avatar: Last Airbender that was fine. Yes, exactly. That's why. Yeah, I'm baffled. I don't know. I can't explain (laughs) it. Okay, that's fine. No, no. So I will will refrain. Um, Um, But you know, that's that's kind of his whole. Well, well, I will tell you, we'll, we'll get into it, but I'll just tell you that um, I feel like I and I think maybe most of my guests that have been on the show so far kind of fall into the same uh, same territory as what you just described, where we don't necessarily we don't like actually hate. I don't want to put words in all of my guests mouths, but myself and I feel like several of my guests we don't claim that we hate the character of Xander Harris. We just recognize that there's a lot more difficulty with that character um, than right. perhaps we recognized before. Um, and actually right. the whole notion, the whole thing about um, like when he had sex with faith, that's one of those moments where uh, I, and I believe my guest at the time, we surprisingly were like, you know what? This is one of the moments where we feel like Xander actually has just suffered a, a, Xander was the victim of uh, sexual abuse, basically, and does not really get any like it's only ever played for laughs. That's only ever a joke. He doesn't get any sort of like recognition or sympathy for the fact that he was because he's a teenage boy and he just had sex with a hot girl. And so everybody thinks, oh, well, that's cool. But anyway, not to to go too far down this rabbit hole, because I'm sure you have uh, a map of of where you want to go. But it is interesting revisiting this show now it's been you know it's 20 years almost since these episodes aired a little over 19 years actually um and it's just it's interesting to view it now because this is the first time since i took my little slayer sabbatical this is the first time i've really been able to kind of have an outside perspective on it like Mm -hmm. i'm still very much i'm still very very close to the work but at the same time, I now kind of I can view it from a little bit of a distance. And it's interesting seeing what was, you know, what was kind of groundbreaking or, you know, risque 20 years ago and kind of, you know, realizing that that things have changed in some of the show. And I'm not, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. Some of the show does seem a little outdated Mm -hmm. yeah no absolutely um 
and that's that's the other sort of big thing I'm kind of using this uh, podcast series to track is uh, if you know 20 years on I'm a I'm a completely different person like you said you're a different person from your early 20s to your late 20s well I'm I'm pushing 50 and so I'm an entirely different person than I was when I first fell in love with all this stuff and I'm I'm, I'm just wondering if my reaction to some of the stuff particularly some of the stuff coming up later in this series uh, will play differently than it has in the past that's kind of how I view this podcast as, as my own personal um, you know exploration <laughs> I thought you were about to say your own personal exorcism well that's um, it you know the biggest um Boy, not being able to curse in this podcast is 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 leading to some interesting. Uh, so the biggest mind-boggling thing nice. um, for 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 me, yeah, that was a great save, Arlo. Mind-boggling thing um, is uh, so I've I've been like devouring Game of Thrones lately, right? Desperately, because I'm seasons behind, desperately trying to catch up. Um, it was quite the the head scratcher to go from that you know extremely high budget gorgeous looking very high production value show <laughs> back to back to buffy which even 20 years ago had an extremely small yeah budget for the time yeah in just um like i didn't know i didn't notice this myself and i've never noticed this but according to wikipedia you can see a, a boom operator yes. in the back of one shot yeah there's um there's a bit where like faith is walking around and she passes the same couple like three times yep. only, like five extras. Yeah. Um, and, and the it, fact that anytime any character ever has to like take a, a midnight stroll through Sunnydale, it is always past that same. It's always that same street past the movie theater and the <laughs> coffee, the coffee place. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the sunrise cinema, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, so. Yeah. And uh, you know, the, uh, I, I I didn't notice this a lot when I was younger, but the fight scenes are very clearly stunt doubles. I, I've been I've been commenting on that as often as I can. I mean, you know, I, I've carried over my love of fight choreography and all that from uh, our uh, Avatar Returns podcast. Um, I've brought it over into this. Um, now I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but the fight choreography does not even compare to Avatar <laughs> to the Avatar well, stuff. But in just I, we. I, I, I do I do sort of mention anytime that there's a, a like a big fight sequence or whatever I talk about whether I thought it was done well and and a lot of times uh, you can easily pick out that it's a stunt double doing uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar's stunts uh, and then there there are the occasional times where you're like that were I at least I'm like that was really good I never saw that I never saw the stunt doubles face at all and it was well paced or whatever anyways um, Joss Whedon. I think, and I don't, I, I don't know if I feel like it's um from like the the peak of like the Avengers in 2012, his star has uh, yeah. <laughs> fallen a lot. Yeah. But I think he is a great director of action. Um, I think um, the Avengers is the perfect example. Um, there are some absolutely phenomenal phenomenally directed action sequences in that movie um there are, are great there, there's great action in serenity mm -hmm. um i think he's a great director of action i also think that 
Buffy is the kind of show that today is becoming rarer and rarer. I think the closest the closest you get to this kind of show now would be like the CW uh, superhero shows. Yeah. Um, and, the, and those I don't really I've I've never seen really seen them, so I don't really know. But these are you know, Buffy for the time was a very typical network show, atypical in many ways, but very typical in that. You know, it's a it's a grind, you know, production, 22 episodes a year mm-hmm. production. It just moves so quickly. They simply did not have the budget or the time to really have great fight choreography. I mean, I think great fight choreography on TV or at least American TV, because that's as far as my quote unquote expertise goes, um, is a relatively new thing. Yeah. So, so in well, fairness to the show, these are not great fight scenes, but they 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 I, I'm kind of reminded of how Stephen King described J.K. Rowling's prose once. They're sturdy. Yeah, they they get the point across and they support the rest of what's happening, which tends to be a lot better. And and ultimately, what has made this show last in so many fans' hearts is not the it's not the fight choreography. No, it's not no. looking back and, th- and thinking, man, the martial arts uh, fight training that those actors went through was really astounding. <laughs> that's, that's not what keeps this show coming, keeps people coming back for more. But anyways, um, so we actually technically haven't even gotten out of the intro and into the, our discussion yet. So let me, let Boy. me, uh, let me drop the See, dreaded... I'm faith. I'm coming to Sunnydale and I'm ruining. I know everything. you're messing everything up, man. All right. So let me drop the dreaded spoiler warning here and then we can get into it. Uh, Conversations with dead people is not a typical rewatch and review podcast. Uh, we're going to be exploring the plots, characters, and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole. That means spoilers and lots of them. So if you haven't already watched Buffy, the vampire slayer and angel, the series all the way through at least once. Well, I mean, we all handle these things in our own ways. I'm not here to spoil or shame anybody. You do you. But um, as for us, in the meantime, Arlo, if you're ready, let's go to work. All right. So like I said at the top, uh, this time around, we're talking about 415, This Year's Girl, and 416, uh, Who Are You? Um, and we we start off with This Year's Girl, since it's, it really is just kind of uh, setting the stage. I mean, there's good stuff in it, but it really is just kind of laying the groundwork uh, for the <laughs> the power episode of uh, Who Are You? But um, Arlo, what do you think about this year's girl? Um, I think yes, it is a scene-setting episode, but it's also um, you know, it's funny. So one thing that definitely plays to the show's strength um, for me, you know, going from a, a nonstop Game of Thrones marathon to this is that because this is like 40 some minutes on network TV, man, it 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 has a lot of uh, efficiency. Yeah. Um, whereas Game of Thrones can tend to, you know, drag on and on. <laughs> I love that show, but it, it can go on. Um, so sometimes for it, seasons on end. <laughs> Uh, you're not wrong. Yeah. Anyway, um, so even though it's setting the scene, I feel like it does so in a very um, snappy, um, compelling way. There's a lot of the 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 heart of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the thing that makes people 
you know, remain rabid fans for decades now is its uh, its character work. Um, and it's there. I think there's some very even in this episode, we get to a lot of good character stuff. And who are you? But even in this episode, we start to see um, Faith has lost um, several months, you know, eight, so eight months, I believe is what they said. So she has lost eight months. And while that's not, you know, like, um, you know, somebody going into a coma and waking up 30 years later, that's still a big chunk of time, especially because when she went into that coma, she was like she and the mayor, it felt like they were unstoppable. And she goes from knowing that she and the mayor are going to. Uh, the mayor is going to ascend. He's going to um, cleanse Sunnydale. They are going to rule, uh, at the very least, the the city, the state of California. Um, and all of a sudden, one uh, knife to the gut later, she wakes up, and everything has changed. The mayor is dead. Um, nothing nothing is as she it's like going from you know she closed her eyes snap of the fingers she wakes up and everything is different she's still in one mode and she's trying to adjust to how things actually are mm-hmm. and the the best scene in the episode for me is uh faith watching the mayor's uh vhs tape that he left behind for her why is that your favorite scene? That's my favorite scene because we get to see so much of what that relationship really is and how it's um, a mirror of the relationship between Buffy and Giles. And, you know, having said that, if I could think of any significant weakness of these two episodes is that they don't really at any point hit on the Buffy Giles relationship. I I will just tell you, um, I don't think you've been listening to this podcast, uh, which is fair. Uh, but I will tell you the past few episodes, I think I've called out that as one of the weaker elements. I'm kind of a fan of season four. I defend season four more than a lot of people do. Uh, but one of the weakest things about season four for me is that it set up so many uh, potentially great um, sort of character beats or or paths that we could follow with some of these characters. And it they're not what the series ultimately does. And one of those would be um, really more more fully exploring the uh, the father figure aspect of Giles and Buffy. And I, I think that's something the show it I feel like there's enough of it over the course of seven seasons. That yeah, it, but that the reason works. the reason it frustrates me in this season is uh they they introduced Riley and he has a mother figure and the Riley's mother figure and Buffy's father figure have one meeting. They get to meet each other once in the season before the mother figure is written out, which I, I it's been brought to my attention. That's because uh, Lindsay Krause had other, either had other obligations or I actually think maybe she asked to be let out of her contract. So I, the, 
as far as I know, the show had more plans for her and there probably would have been more of an exploration of uh, Riley and his mom versus Buffy and her dad. Uh, but as it turned out that we, we got a very brief taste of what could have been an interesting plot uh, to follow. And that doesn't happen. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but to go back to what makes that, that scene with her watching the video, my favorite scene one, any time that we get to see um, Harry Grainer mm-hmm. as the mayor is is gold. Yes. He is so good. And we get to see um, – there's one thing that he says to Faith on that tape, which is something along the lines of, um, there's no place in this world for you anymore. Yeah. Um, which – is not something that Giles would ever say to Buffy. No, you know? I, I I thought as I was rewatching that episode, I I thought that um, that came across as sort of as kind of I don't know what word I'm looking for suicidal or whatever. Like um, I, I'm sure that was meant to feed into uh, the the original viewing audience had no idea what that device was that he left for her. And so the way uh, the mayor was talking to her on that tape and the fact that here's this unknown device. And I'm sure it was trying to build up in our minds, the possibility that is it a bomb? Like, is she about to go suicide bomb herself to take out Buffy or whatever? Um, But anyways just just listening to him talk it really does come across as him saying yeah i mean i'm sorry i think he even says something like uh it's a shame that my faith can't go on forever or, or something like right. that but at least you right. can go I, he says at least you can go out with a bang that's what it is and it's it's a, the, a prime example of the difference between the buffy giles and faith mayor relationship in that for whatever whatever uh, flaws there may be in Buffy and Giles's relationship at the core of it, the foundation of it, there is a great deal of trust and respect and admiration yeah. and it's mutual. Whereas faith in the mayor, it's very easy to see why faith was so taken with the mayor, but this is a perfect example of him gaslighting her. Right. Yes. That—that's basically that's the crux of their relationship. The mayor is telling her, you know, well, there's just no place in this world for you anymore. I don't know how you're going to go on without me. By the way, here's this kooky little this little tchotchke that I'm going to give you, so that if you do find a place in this world, it's because of me, even though I'm dead. Um. It's just very manipulative. Even from beyond the grave, he is still dictating her actions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another uh, return that we get, um, not nearly as, as missed, perhaps, as Harry Grainer, but um, this is the first time Christine Sutherland pops up. This is the first time we see Joyce uh, in, I believe, 10 episodes. I think the last time we saw her was episode 404, Fear Itself. That's the last time in this season we saw Joyce. Um, and, and, uh, she only has, I think maybe two more appearances in this season after this. So, yeah. um, I was for a while, I was a little baffled why we didn't get more Joyce than we did, but, um, 
uh, as it turns out, Christine Sutherland and her family moved to Italy for, oh. for a year in 1999. So what appearances of her we do get in this season were her flying back to America to shoot some scenes. But... Okay. I don't think I ever knew that. No. But I also think it works. So even though... It does. They made it work. They made it work. Even though I wish there had been more Giles, um, I think the the relative absence of Giles and Joyce this season, um, you know, it speaks to the whole, you know, Buffy's out of high school. She's trying to make this college thing work before the series hilariously abandons the mere notion of of, of college, like I think in the next season. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, she's trying to grow up. She's trying to be independent. And I think they get some good mileage out of the fact that Buffy hasn't visited Joyce in quite a while. That's, mm-hmm. that's a, a sore point that Faith uh, starts to, uh, you know, prod at yeah. in this episode. So um, if it hasn't been clear in my tone of voice or if... <laughs> If you're a new listener and have never heard me say this before, uh, Faith happens to be one of my very favorite Whedonverse characters, um, like in my top five. Not not Buffyverse, Whedonverse, like anything Whedon has ever done. Faith is up there uh, as one of my favorite characters that he's ever had. I I, I treasure every opportunity that the show, uh, both shows actually, um, take over their runs to sort of explore her her tragic struggle with and often against redemption. Um, and one of the things I love about these two episodes is uh, this is our, this is our best look yet at what the, the, the Buffy faith, good slayer, bad slayer dynamic, uh, what it feels like from the bad slayer side of that equation. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to be frank, I kind of find it more interesting and compelling than the alternative that we've gotten <laughs> to this point. But uh um, I actually I agree with you a little bit like um, because I like I said earlier, I'm I'm watching this show now really for the first time with like a, a you know, some level of remove mm-hmm. um, it. And I and I know that a lot of this is from Faith's viewpoint. So we're not going to get the most flattering uh you know, view of our heroes, but I mean, I think this still holds pretty true in just about every other episode of the show. Um, the Scoobies are—they're—they're um, they're pretty friggin' sanctimonious, and they are. Um, you know, I think Faith even says Buffy has like a, a better than thou yeah. attitude, um, and they are for a group of people that is so often trying to save the world they are so they're so tight-knit they're like they isolate themselves like they alienate everyone else no i've uh i've brought this up before i think i brought this up to anybody that would sit still long enough to listen when i was at uh, the most recent slayage and i'm almost positive i brought it up on this podcast at least once or twice or a hundred times before but um one of the things that i have struggled with uh, in terms of Buffy and the Scooby gang over the years. And one of the things I'm paying attention to on this rewatch to see if it still plays this way is the notion that these characters all started off as the outsiders. Like every one of these characters were the, the, they were the outsiders. They were the nerds, the ones that were picked on or left out of social groups or whatever with the, I guess the exception of Buffy, but she found herself in that position. And over the course of the series, they, 
start they lean much more into the group of insiders they become the the ones with the privileged information and the access to a, a, a specific power set and as often as not they are the ones that treat others as outsiders and it has it has always bothered me and so and it, it still bothers me at this point in the series but i am I am trying to pay attention to it, and and uh, I've had various guests try and talk me off that ledge before. But yeah, I'm not going to be the person that talks you off that ledge because that's something I, you know, I've I've always it, it's it hasn't always bothered me mm-hmm. as much as maybe it would now. But I've I think it's fairly obvious that that's that's their trajectory, and I and I don't think that was probably intentional um that yeah they they are they they do become the group of privileged insiders um which you know that's kind of what happens to any group of nerds you know you start off as the as the outsider and then you get power and it's like oh let's let's close the door to everybody else i mean there is some meta commentary going on there but i don't it's debatable how much of that was an intent was intentional yeah, I, at the time. I don't, I don't really think most of it's intentional. I mean, I think, I think we get some of that in um, season seven Yeah. with uh, the potentials and everything, yeah. but I, it's not particularly well executed. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, no, that's absolutely a, I, I, I think you're onto something there. Um, and watching things from faith's perspective, um, yeah, I mean, why? So in season three, when Faith first arrives in Sunnydale, they are all so judgmental of her, right? And they are the ones. I mean, I'm not saying Faith is blameless, but they help turn her over to the mayor's side. Yeah, I mean, there's. Try, you know, trying to give a, a fair and equitable read uh, on the show on this watch through, I would say there were mistakes made on both sides. And there are. And, but... I, and I think a, a huge point of this two parter is both Buffy and Faith gaining a new level of empathy. Yeah, I mean, Faith, Fa- Faith, uh, this is actually in the next episode, I think, but uh Faith in Buffy at one point says, uh, I guess you never, yeah, it's in the next episode. I guess you never really know a person until you walk a mile in their skin or whatever, which is yeah. um, obviously what's going on here. But uh, yeah, so before we even get to the whole body swapping thing, the being able to, stepping back and looking at things more directly from Faith's perspective, um, it's hard for me to remember again a thing that I say often on this podcast. It's hard for me to remember what my how perceptive I was on my first watch of this stuff, and how much of how I feel about it now comes from years and years of of rewatches and analysis and going to slayage conferences and all that. But I feel like I I feel like I always sort of got faith even from the beginning that I I recognized that she was she had a traumatic upbringing and that she wasn't that there were shades of gray going on. I always thought that there were uh, depths to faith that I wanted the shows to the show to explore. And so 
finally getting to see stuff more directly from her perspective, I think is a, a very welcome addition to the show's canon. Uh, and we get, so the two most obvious things in this episode are, I mean, her, her whole dream sequence stuff, which despite the fact that on the surface, uh, the two characters, Buffy and Faith are, I mean, they, they have their similarities obviously, but the, they are very different and Faith, uh, the last time we saw Faith was very, very anti-Buffy. There's, there's clearly animosity between the two characters, but these are Faith's dreams that we're seeing now. And in those dreams, now you could, you could be a cynic and say that this is Faith excusing her own actions and just painting Buffy as the bad guy, how everyone is the villain or everyone's the hero of their own story. Um, but I think maybe there's a little more to it. I think it's a little telling that faith, even though it always devolves into violence in these various dream sequences, it starts off at least with more of a sort of sisterly vibe between the two of them. Right. And we get an, we get another, uh, shout out to our impending Dawn. Yeah. Little sis, little sis is coming. Yeah. Um, which is the second at this point. And I think, yeah. I think it happens again in restless maybe. So we get at least three uh, references to the little sis, but um, yeah. Anyways. And then, and then of course there's the scene of faith watching Buffy and the gang through the window. Like after she, she escapes from the hospital and she makes her way to Giles's place. We could ask how she knows where, Oh, well, it, it's Giles. It is Giles's place she goes to, right? Yeah, she knows. Yeah. Where, she knows where yeah. Giles lives. Okay. Yeah. So, anyways, there's the whole scene of her watching through the window, which, I mean, on the one hand, that seems like a pretty obvious callback to uh, um, season two, uh, the episode Passion, where Angel, or excuse me, Angelus was watching everybody through the window of, uh, as they were getting the phone call about Jenny, I think is what was going on then. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and that episode was also directed by Michael Gershman, the guy that directed this episode. So I feel like that had to have been intentional. Um, but it's also just, I just talked about the whole outsider status of these var- various characters. It also just overtly places her in the outsider position, uh, watching the gang on the inside. But yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know what else. I, I, I just want to say that, um, Next to David Greenwalt and um, and Tim Minear, I think I'm trying. I, I don't uh, I don't have a encyclopedic memory for who all has written Faith, but David Greenwalt and Tim Minear, I think, are standouts. And obviously Jim Koof or Koff, I don't know how to say his name, who does my beloved Angel episode one eighteen five by five. Yeah, um, I would say Doug Petrie probably has the best grasp in terms of writing the character of Faith. I just love, um, he's written her several times up to this point. Uh, and I, yeah. I, I feel like Petrie episodes that feature faith are always, um, highlights for me. So, um, anything else in this episode before we move on? Um, Adam makes yeah. an appearance. Yeah. Um, and what is he doing in this episode? Um, let's see. <sighs> Is it? I know he. I know he's got stuff in the next episode. Does he turn up in this one? Oh, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't. No, it's um. Uh, Xander and Giles are looking for Faith and Adam. Yes. And they happen upon Spike. Yeah. Instead, and 
Xander with the gun, and the gun just has those little lights that keep going off and on. It looks like a you know Party City prop. Yeah. Um. But uh, no, I, I think no, I think we've covered most of what's uh, happening in this episode. Okay. Um. I, I feel like there are parallels. I we don't need to make them right now. Um. My mm-hmm. I, I don't know if my head is on straight to to tie all this together neatly, but. I feel like there are clear parallels um, between Spike uh, as the outsider. He's actually the outsider who's kind of being forced to be an insider at the moment. Right, right. Um, and Faith, who's who, uh, at least at one point wanted to be an insider, is now is and now being forced to be an outsider. But, anyways, Spike is my other beloved character who who oh, seeks absolutely. and fights against redemption throughout the series. Um, but yeah, that scene you're talking about has one of. At this moment in the series, he's really just uh, comic relief. Yeah. Which is fine. I love him in this role. But, uh, I mean, he gets the, the hilarious, um, tell you what I'll do then. Head out, find this girl, tell her exactly where you all are, and then watch as she kills you. <laughs> and he's like, can't you guys remember that I hate you? What is wrong with you? Um, yeah, just great stuff. Um, okay. So guess we can just move on to uh the meat of uh this episode who are you yeah um, which is uh written and directed by joss whedon so yes you know, which is always a good sign always a good sign yeah uh all right so what do you think about this one um <clears throat> this is uh this is a great episode yeah. i mean it uh th- there's so much that happens in this episode but i think a big thing that we have to talk about is um, the performances mm-hmm. of Sarah Michelle Geller and Eliza Dushku. Um, it is absolutely incredible to see these two actors who have, you know, worked side by side so often um, completely embodying the other. Like a, a body swap episode is a, you know, that's that's a pretty common genre trope but it rarely has worked this well and i think that is due in huge part to the fact that both of them completely nail the other's mannerisms even you know vocal tics like it's really it's they are perfect it's almost creepy how well they each managed to pull it off yeah yeah uh the fact that uh well, I mean, the fact that Buffy didn't get more awards than it did is criminal anyways, but the fact that neither one of these actresses was nominated for these performances in particular for any kind of award that yes. I'm aware of, at least, um, is is just unbelievable. But I completely agree. I mean, there's that scene um, of Buffy, you know, she, so at the end of... Uh... At the end of this year's girl, the body swap happens and, you know, we get to see Buffy say five by five. And that's how we know, oh, shit, she's Faith now. Um, And then at the beginning of this episode, you get to see Faith start to test drive Buffy's body. And she takes a, a, a luxurious bubble bath. And then in the mirror, she's like trying out this body. Yes, you know. she gets she that scene deserves an award. 
and uh, absolutely and uh, that, that's sort of the taxi driver scene of the episode i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's it's her doing you know variations on i'm buffy and i want to save you um or, I, or i'm the good guy and then just like playing with like buffy's facial expressions and it's just such a it's it's a really funny scene but it also um is just brilliantly acted and written and directed um it's it's one of the highlights of the episode for me so we should point out the episode starts with well i mean it doesn't start with but the in the credits at the top of the show eliza dishku is credited as um guest starring eliza dishku as buffy summers yeah oh how great is that <laughs> which is brilliant it all that only would have been better if they had actually worked that into the actual title sequence if they'd uh, shown like yeah. sarah michelle geller as faith yeah yeah but, um uh it's so, okay the it next episode after this we'll get lots of uh yeah title, that's true title shenanigans that's true that's true um so the camera work there's oh man there's so much in this episode but i feel like we need to mention the camera work in this episode and how how uncomfortable it is but intentionally i i assume intentionally the camera watches sarah michelle geller very differently in this episode than it does in the rest of the series yeah. Uh, there's much more uh, objectifying, much more lingering body shots and slow pans yeah. like across legs and chest and backside than we ever get um, of Buffy any time in the rest of the series, which yeah. um, only it's so weird. Like I knew that was a thing and I'm familiar with the whole series and I, I, you know, I know what's going on, but even so on revisiting this episode, um, the, the camera can do that to Eliza Dishku as faith all at once. And it doesn't even really register, but, but watch rewatching it this time. Every time it did that to Sarah Michelle Geller, I was like, Oh, this is, this is creepy. <laughs> and, yeah. and that is so, Again, that's so meta. That is so great. That is a great way of putting. So this episode is all about letting each of these slayers experience what it's like to be the other girl um, so that they develop some sort of empathy and understanding for each other. And the camera work in this uh, for for at least a semi-aware audience is supposed to, you know, let the audience empathize a little bit because I feel like I can't be the only person who watched it and went oh is that what it's like for for most of the like for for eliza dishku whenever she's on the show the camera just always has to focus on her on her butt or on her chest um yeah anyways um yeah um it's uh so we could debate how sex positive these you know shows are or aren't mm -hmm. um but Faith absolutely thinks of herself as an object. Yeah. You know, her whole attitude is that she is, you know, independent and, you know, kicks ass, doesn't listen to rules. But that kind of masks the fact that she thinks of herself as an object 
she allows herself to be used as an object and the most significant relationship we've seen her have on the show with the mayor is uh, is one where she is fully objectified maybe not sexually mm-hmm. um, but she is a she is a pawn she is something to be controlled and so I think that the camera kind of ogling Sarah Michelle Geller, um, which is something we're so not used to on this show, really makes us take a step back and think about, you know, the the portrayal of of faith, how we think of it, it kind of challenges how we think of faith mm-hmm. yeah. um, and lets us see her in a completely new light. Yeah. Um, ta- uh, I, I really, I have this in my notes as personal notes. And what I meant by that is you don't really need to bring this up on the show, <laughs> but I, I will, because you just talked, you just said we can, we could, we don't have to, we could debate how sex positive the show is. Yeah. I, I just want to point out because it seemed glaringly obvious to me on this rewatch in, in light of the the new world and the new facts that we are aware of now yeah the uh the written and directed by tag uh written and directed by joss whedon that tag pops up on the screen at precisely the moment that we get naked buffy in the bathtub Mm. i i mean just make of that what you will right like i i don't think any other time i've ever watched this show did i did I think to myself, really, did we need to have a like Buffy in a bathtub scene? Was that necessary? Yeah. Uh, but just this one time I, I did, I did think that for just a second. Uh, and um, I don't know, like, I mean, maybe it's, maybe it is telling us something about the character of faith, but I don't know. It It's, I mean, it leads into the wonderful, uh, faith learning how to be Buffy in the mirror scene. But just the fact that we get a a naked Sarah Michelle Gellar in a bubble bath seemed slightly gratuitous. So anyways, I just wanted to point out that that was written and directed that came up on screen. I get that. And and I was, I was concerned um, during the scene where um, Buffy, uh, sorry, faith in Buffy's body has sex with Riley Yeah. at at first. Like I, I I remember the scene. Mm -hmm. I knew how the scene played out, but I was curious to see, you know, if my memory of it stacked up with how it actually plays out. And I was worried at first because, you know, I I mentioned that the, the Scooby gang can be a little sanctimonious, a little holier than thou. And like, I I know you just recently would have discussed uh, beer bad. Yeah. But that is such a, you know, leaving aside the fact that it's a terrible episode in general, it's like, why does the show have this really bizarre, extremely anti-drinking stance? (laughs) Um, And it also, we rarely see characters have sex when it's not a negative thing, you know? Um and so, you know, Faith is trying to be a little uh, a little rowdier with Riley than he's used to. And at first I was worried that, like, oh, no, 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 they're, they're, 
the show is going to have us see Faith as a slut, that she wants to act this way. And though I guess that could be a read on the scene, to me, that's not how I saw it. What I saw was someone who, um, again, is very used to seeing herself treated as an object, um, who is then confronted with the idea of actually being intimate with someone who sees her for more than that. I still think there's a like I, I don't know I'm a little conflicted about I don't know Paul you you give me your thoughts so um, it's it's really difficult for me to to boil it down to this one scene because there's so much like this this is one of the I feel like this is one of the best episodes of the series certain it's certainly one of the best episodes of season four um, and there is so much in it that I love. There are so many scenes that I could point to and say, this scene did, you know, accomplish this, this, and this, and I love it for, but if I were forced to pick my favorite, um, scene or, or collection of scenes is the faith sleeping with Riley stuff. And it is, first of all, it's a highlight for Sarah Michelle Geller. I don't, I, I don't praise Sarah Michelle Geller enough uh, on this podcast, mostly because of my feelings about Buffy. But um, this is a, in an episode that's already jam packed with great opportunities for her and Eliza Dishku to act as each other. This is probably the best that she does because she is, this is a scene where if it was actually faith, we were watching, if this was Eliza Dishku in this scene, the scene would be moving. We would recognize her. uh, Like when Riley says, what are we playing at? And she says, she looks like confused and maybe a little hurt and scared. And she like kind of falls back into herself. She shrinks down just a little bit, which is so unusual. And she's like, I'm Buffy. Like she's explaining. It's so, it's such a lost little girl thing. And if we had watched Eliza Dishku perform that scene, it would have been amazing. And it would have been heartbreaking. But here we are watching Sarah Michelle Gellar as Eliza Dishku (laughs) play that same scene. And there are so many layers in that that it's it's just tremendous but i mean aside from that this is the crux of faith there there are a lot of steps along the way but like i feel like this is the crux i feel like this is the tipping point for uh faith lahane and her journey towards redemption now she's going to backslide a little bit when she jumps over to angel (laughs) um uh, but eventually that will turn out gloriously but um, this is the moment where she she's now had a couple opportunities in the, this episode to experience life from Buffy's side. She gets to see friends that genuinely like and, and value her. Uh, she has she saves that one girl's life and that girl is genuinely like thankful and it kind of and she doesn't know how to respond. Yeah, she's kind of taken aback by that. And uh, anyway, she's just she's seeing life from a totally different perspective and being in a situation here where she's not she's giving this guy an opportunity to objectify her and he doesn't take it. And he is just genuinely compassionate and caring and, and, you know, concerned about her feelings and all that totally throws her. And when she wakes up like the next morning and she's like, who, who are you? What do you want from her? Mm -hmm. Like she catches herself and says, what do you want from her? Just phenomenal. I can't, I I'm so, 
powerfully moved and invested in the the larger story arc of faith across this series and this is one of the the signposts along the way one of the the, the neon signposts along the way yeah no i i completely agree um i'm not the person to discuss the the sex positivity or lack thereof i i had another thought okay I'll just say this. I'm not saying that I necessarily agree with this, but the show for as, as liberal as it is, and as much as it's known for being, you know, this big feminist text or whatever does occasionally have a bit of a conservative streak. Mm -hmm. And I think a less charitable read of that scene. And again, I'm not saying I, 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 I'm not saying I subscribe to this, okay. but it is a thought that I had could be that um, faith just needed to have um, a boring vanilla sex with a boring vanilla guy like Riley to make her realize, oh, I've been doing things wrong this whole time. Um, I, You know, I'm tempted to push back against that, which is is weird because I feel like any other day I might be on your side and you, I know I realize you just said this isn't necessarily your side, but any other day I might be on that side of this discussion. Mm -hmm. But given the fact that um, as I'm famous for on this podcast, I also happen to be kind of a Riley defender. Um, I, I feel like Riley is a more interesting, better character than so many people give him credit for. Um, I feel like his ultimate story arc ends up being tragic, and I think it's a little bit unfair to the character. But considering that the to to using my faulty memory as guide and to oversimplify, I would say the fall of Riley, at least in part, comes down to he tries to walk on the wild side. He tries to get dark in order to match Buffy, and that doesn't right. play out. And the character and possibly the actor i don't know the character is ends up being punished for that so that could also be a way of reading the show as uh being somewhat conservative in the in this regard i guess yeah yeah that's interesting interesting so i'm i'm gonna let's I'm going to leave that there for future uh, guests on the show, who many of whom are actually academics, um, <laughs> to to pick up that thread because I'm not sure how uh, yeah. how uh, prepared I am to get into that. But again, I don't necessarily agree with that read of what happens. I found it to be a very moving scene as well, yeah. um, and then that does lead. So let's um, the elephant in the room. Her name is Faith, right? Yeah, and. What does that mean? And I don't know. Have you discussed that on previous episodes? Um, I, I, I'm sure it's come up. Like I'm, I'm sure um, I've had a guest or two. Just I, I think we've mentioned it in passing. I don't think we've explored it uh, really deeply. But um, I don't like. There's other stuff I want to get to before we get right to the end. But I'm almost positive what you're what you're leading up to here is the the notion that faith has her sort of not to be too cheesy with it, but her kind of come to Jesus moment happens in a church. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm okay with that. That yeah. is super, it's, it's super on the nose. It's And it's weird for this show. It's weird for that scene to have played out the way it did in the place that it did. Agreed. So Joss, so, so, okay. 
So Faith wakes up, okay? And like you said, she realizes, what what do I, who am I really? Like even in this body, like just because I'm in a different body doesn't mean I'm a different person. Who am I? And so her first instinct is to flee. And so she's in the airport. She's about to get on a plane. And then she and Buffy in her body uh, both see the same TV report about a, you know, a group of vampires um, hold up in a church threatening to um, massacre the entire congregation. Um, And they... Uh, and th- this is where uh, Adam pops up. Adam has been, you know, he right now he's learning everything he can about every species, mm-hmm. you know, every creature on the planet. And so he has decided to um, he goes to like a, a den of vampires and convinces them that their fear of the, their their fear makes them weak. Their fear of these arbitrary symbols like the cross. And actually, one of my big beefs with the Buffy verse, and it always has been, is that the Christian cross, like the, the crucifix, actually has a is actually physically debilitating to vampires. Yeah, because Joss Whedon is an extremely well known atheist. Uh-huh. And the show itself seems skeptical of much organized religion. Um, And yet, for whatever reason, just across the board, no matter the personality type of the vampire, the crucifix is an effective weapon. And holy water. Um, And I I guess you could fan-wank why that is but it has never that's always been a discrepancy for me between the actual mechanics of the show and what the show's attitude um seems to be however all that having been said so they're in the church and i i really like um how this happens um can i can i can i read this quote that the vampire says because it's one of my favorite Uh, Absolutely. Like one of my favorite quotes any vampire ever has, any vampire who's not Spike (laughs) ever has on Buffy. So we cut to them in the church and the the sort of lead, difficult to call him a lead vampire, the lead lackey vampire uh, says, it's hard to believe I've been avoiding this place for so many years and it's nothing. It's nice. It's got the pretty windows, the pillars, lots of folks to eat. Uh, where's the thing I was so afraid of? You know, the Lord. He was supposed to be here. He gave us this address. <laughs> I love that whole thing. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm glad you mentioned that because I love I love that dialogue too. Um, and it, yeah, it is like, what what am I afraid of? Like, there's there's nothing here, and that really speaks to where faith is. Um, so even though it's super on the nose that Faith, you know, has her awakening in a church, um, it's not, despite the superficial trappings, it's not a religious awakening, but a personal awakening. She um, is confronted with the realization that, like, 
what am I afraid of? Yeah, she has to punch herself in the face to get there, but she starts to to ask herself the question, and it's a very it's it's a long journey. Redemption is messy work, as we learn from Angel. Um, but she starts to ask herself, what was I so afraid of? Um, and I just I love how everything um, just leads up to the church. So faith. Go. She goes to the church because she realizes that she wants to help. That she she can't just let this happen. She has the power to stop it, to stop these innocent people from getting slaughtered, and she has to do it. So she goes to the church and um, runs into Riley, who who's just late for church. Um, which which raises a question: if if he's a if he's a God fearing church going boy from Iowa. Um, why does he, I mean, I know the answer because he's part of the initiative and they're supposed to be the science-based thing, but why does he never employ crosses when like he and his team are out hunting vampires? I mean, if anybody on the show should be able to wield a cross and have it work, it should be a God-fearing Christian Iowa boy. That's true. So, so something, um, something I've played with like in, in things that I have written with vampires and is that the, those religious symbols um and i think i think this is this is not something i invented by any means this is pretty common um that those religious symbols only have power if the person using if the person wielding them believes in them right um, which this show doesn't really the show the show does not address that at all no, no. um and I, I really wish it had um but in any case, um, and then Buffy comes to the church as well, and there's just that there's again maybe not a greatly choreographed fight, but I've forgotten is, how short it was. Yeah, but there there is a great fight between uh, Buffy and Faith because Faith is just pummeling Buffy who is in her body and that's when she has you know that you know you're nothing you disgusting murderous bitch you're nothing you're disgusting Um, she hates seeing herself truly seeing herself so it feels like I I don't know if it's just that uh, by this point in the series um, I as a viewer have started taking it for granted or if really the show has kind of let some of this slide recently at this point in the show, if it, if it's kind of dropped it a little bit, but one of the things that Buffy was initially praised for was its use of metaphor, how it would take, you know, uh, the human condition or the common experience of high school or whatever, all these things that everybody could identify with. And it would personify them through these weird supernatural genre trappings. Um, and so what you get here is, is like, like I'm tempted to call it a very on the nose, but this, but not in a negative way because I totally love it. But, but this is faith acting out her self-loathing. This is, this is the show spelling out for anybody who was too clueless to have picked up on it by this point that faith hates herself. And, uh, because it's, because it's Buffy and because there are some, so many, uh, supernatural metaphors at play, they have to, they do that physically where faith gets to literally punch herself in the face and smash her own head into the floor and call her own body a disgusting murderous bitch and all of that. Um, it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful like examination for as brief as it is of, uh, self-loathing. 
So. Yes, absolutely agreed. Um, and it, I mean, it is it is the climactic moment of the entire of of this like two episode arc basically. But um, there are a couple other things I wanted to call out, like um, um, the the sex with Riley scene that happened earlier. So that was paralleled with an, what I would what I'm going to call another sex scene. And it's immediately followed by another um, Faith as Buffy scene. And I, I want to touch on both of those. The The parallel sex scene, of course, is the Willow Terra thing. Right. Yeah. Which, so I want to get your take on this. Um, I'm so used to, I'm so conditioned by years and years of being told um, that the, the Willow Terra relationship was played like super chill and super chuddle, super subtle on the show. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe that was uh, either because the network had directly advised the writers to do that or the writers assumed that the network would. And so they were they deliberately made this a lot of subtextual stuff between Willow and Tara. Now, I've I've been conditioned for years to feel that way on this rewatch. I just don't feel like it's that subtextual. Well, I think that. So one, this is the the show where they had wanted uh, Buffy and Faith to kiss on the lips uh-huh. um, in that one scene uh, in season three, but then the, the, they couldn't. They uh-huh. could not have the two of them kiss on the lips. So that they wound up having Faith kiss Buffy in the forehead. So that's what they're dealing with. And I agree with you. It's not subtextual. But I mean, absolutely I, not in this scene. This scene, there's there's no, absolutely n- not. No disguising it. But I mean, no. I think even up to this point, it's been pretty obvious. But well, I think, again, this is one of those things where we have to remember 20 years ago. Um, it, it's it's hard. It's kind of hard to consider now because. Um, so so Buffy wasn't for being a niche show. Buffy was watched by a lot more people than usually watch most TV shows today. Yeah. Just because of the, the how TV has broken apart into a million pieces. Um, so Buffy was a very mainstream show. I mean, Buffy was on like, you know, trapper keepers and stuff, you know, it was, it was a very mainstream show. Yeah. And I think at the time, especially there was almost no LGBTQ representation mm-hmm. on TV, American TV. Yeah. And when it happened, um, it was in very special episodes. It, or when it happened, it was played for laughs, you know, right. will and grace. Yeah. Um, and so I think what, what now reads to us as being screamingly obvious and probably read as screamingly obvious to people in the know at the time um, really was it was probably subtextual enough to fly over enough people's heads. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that that's fair. That's fair. So, I mean, now we watch it and it's just it's I mean, they're 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 orgasmically writhing <laughs> yeah. on the ground <laughs> while doing the spell. It's it's super, super obvious. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I know, but I but I liked it. I I think that's a a clever way of 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 getting around that. 
Yeah. Um, and I, I, even though visually it's a parallel between Willow's love life and Buffy's love life, it's actually faith. <laughs> like they, yeah. We're, it's supposed to be faith. And I just think it's telling that, uh, in a scene, in the scene, like practically right before that, um, faith is the first person, faith in Buffy is the first person to recognize the sexual spark that's playing out between Willow and Tara. Yeah. I mean, she's got the great line. So Willow's not driving stick anymore. Huh? Yeah. Um, yep. which surprises me that that line got through, <laughs> got past the censors. Right. But, um, well, she also says something earlier, like about Buffy and Riley. Oh, you settled for the first college beef stick you came across. Yes. Yes. I heard that line. I was like, standards and practices so weird the things that they'll let slide and the things that they refuse to allow yeah. i mean it's a lot more lenient today but still just completely asinine yeah yeah it's it's completely made up from time to time um so but the the thing that followed the uh after faith wakes up and and is freaked out by Riley. And so the next morning when she's leaving, there's a, it's a really brief scene between her and Forrest. Um, but I want to mention it because I feel like that scene is pretty significant. That's a scene where he, so first of all, Forrest thinks he's talking to Buffy, obviously. Yeah. Um, so both of their reactions in this scene, I think are important. Uh, Forrest calls her a killer and faith as Buffy freaks out. Like she gets genuinely upset at that notion. Uh, yeah. Whereas not that long ago, she would have been like, damn right. Damn straight. I'm a killer. Right. But she is legitimately upset about that. Um, and uh, which, I mean, you know, you could argue that that's because she's had sort of this humanizing uh, experience by living in Buffy's shoes for a while. Um which is true, but I also maintain that it's just one more sign that, like her badass, stake first, ask questions never attitude, is a mask that she's been wearing this whole time. Yeah. Um, somewhere inside, she has always been horrified at the things that she does. Yes, um, I agree. But then uh, Forrest's reaction, again, thinking that uh, that he's talking to Buffy Summers, uh, he seems genuinely surprised that Buffy, of all people, cares what he thinks. Uh, so the dynamic that we as viewers would expect is that Faith would be fine with this dumb jock thinking that she's a killer. And uh, and Forrest should expect uh, Buffy, the good guy, <laughs> like he should expect Buffy um, to just just based on his interactions with her, he should expect her to be like to, to not be offended by it or whatever. Like she wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, have gotten defensive about that. Anyways, I don't know. There's something about that scene. It's obviously it's more telling for for Faith's reaction, but I also thought just thought it was interesting that uh, Forrest was surprised by the response because he thought he was talking to Buffy. But anyways, yeah, interesting. I've I've never I've never thought about it like that. Um, so I, I think we need we need to go back to that scene of uh, Faith realizing the the sexual aspect of Willow and Tara's relationship okay. because she is extremely cruel. Yeah. <laughs> if, or maybe not cruel, but definitely callous. She's, she's very taunting and, and uh, yeah, insulting or yeah. Mean, mean. She's mean as Tara puts it. Yeah. And it's like the, 
it's the nightmare version of of what would happen if Willow introduced um, her female lover to Buffy, who has no idea she's gay. Right. Um, and of course, Willow doesn't actually witness the interaction, um, which is a little strange. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a tough scene for me to watch. I think it's just because, you know, I, I love Tara. Right. Very much. And Tara is just such a nice, sweet person. Amber Benson does it, a tremendous job of pl- of the of playing the the very shy, the very fragile, introverted, like no self confidence version of Tara. When she starts stuttering and yeah. Faith just attacks the stutter, mm-hmm. that is it's, it's just so tough to watch. Yeah. It would be tough to watch regardless, but it's even tougher because even though it's Faith we're seeing Buffy's body. Right. Those words are coming out of Buffy's mouth. Yeah. Um, And it did, you know, I felt a little bit better because I, I honestly couldn't remember how it played out. Um, I forgot that Tara obviously realized that that couldn't be Buffy because of her aura, which I feel like is a sort of uh, power might be too strong a, a word for it, but that seems like an ability that, I don't remember Tara ever demonstrating again. Like, I don't think we get a lot of scenes in the future of Tara reading people's auras and saying, Oh, that's not really, you know, that's not what that, that person's possessed or whatever. Um, right. It was well, kind of a one-off, the... but it's fine. I like the way it played out. Yeah. That's the, that's the wonder this episode or whatever. <laughs> that's the, that's nice. the, 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 the made up thing the writers have to use to, to, to get us to the next point. Yeah. Fair. That's fair. Um, um yeah, I, I just because I'm I'm picturing that scene in my mind and it reminds me you mentioned beer bad a little while ago. Yeah. <laughs> and the whole this shows weird obsession with alcohol being evil. Um, it reminds me a thing that I I talked about it on the beer bad episode of this podcast. And it was pointed out to me by the guest that uh, this is a thing that uh, had had already been demonstrated with Buffy, I think, at that point and continues to be demonstrated. Um, throughout the series is that anytime Buffy is like uh, possessed or doing any, you know, behaving in a, in a bad way or naughty way or whatever, uh, she gets the, uh, the crinkly hair of evil. She gets this, the crimped hair or whatever. And, uh, I just, I kind of laughed to notice that as soon as she is possessed by the spirit of faith, she gets the crinkly hair of evil. Hmm. I have never noticed this, which I happen to like. I'm just going to be very shallow and say that uh, uh, faith, uh, faith as Buffy, like Buffy, has never looked better, in my opinion. <laughs> but um, that's because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pig. But um, we, we Way to objectify. I know. Paul. I, I mean, the episode made me. <laughs> the camera wouldn't stop. Uh, <laughs> anyways, we can't we can't skip over the spike and faith interaction um, because it's just tremendous. Uh, it's like one of the many, many high points of this episode. Um, it's so sad that those two characters don't ever really get to like, we don't get to see those two actors capitalize on this chemistry again until season seven. And even then, like it's not the same. It's just not the same. Um it breaks my heart that apparently the, the creators were 
like legitimately considering and possibly even sort of taking the first steps towards doing a Spike and Faith spinoff. Um, yeah. That, yeah. Uh, that I, obviously never happened. I am gutted that that Spike and Faith yes. spinoff never happened. Yes. That, oh my gosh. That would have been so tremendous. But at any rate, uh, at least we get this moment. <laughs> at least we get this episode in this moment. And, uh, in the, I think in future episodes, in future seasons of this uh, of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, in future episodes of this podcast, there will be some debate that may come back to this moment and what this particular moment uh, gifted us or cursed us with, if you are a certain portion of the fan base, in terms of the relationship between Spike and Buffy moving forward. Yeah. Uh, because what we get here is a tremendous demonstration of chemistry and... Uh, you could argue, and I'm, I'm a hundred percent. I'm just damn skippy that many, many people have used this as a reason to explain why, where Spike's whole eventual love for Buffy comes from, like where his obsession with her starts. Um, anyways, I don't know. what you, what do you feel about the, I could ride you at a gallop until your legs buckled and your eyes rolled up scene? <laughs> I mean, clearly it's, it's playing with, uh, spike's feelings about buffy and it's it's interesting to me to see the show um working on that this early on i mean it's they it would definitely um i think since spike's first appearance this season um in the harsh light of day they've been playing with that with um harmony basically being jealous, jealous yeah. of his crusade against buffy um but as the show continues to go on, it becomes more and more overt. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, it, and does he ever find out that that wasn't actually Buffy? I, th I think in, I think maybe in season seven when Faith comes back, I, I think that's yeah. revealed. But I don't, don't quote me on that. My, my, my super smart listeners right now are screaming at the, at their listening devices. <laughs> like, you idiot! He never finds out, but. I think he yeah. does. Yeah. Um, anyways, yeah, no, I, I, there, there have been and will continue to be debates about the relationship between Buffy and Spike. But uh, in this scene, in this episode, I love the chemistry between the two actors. Um, I, it's possible it never gets better. I don't know. I, I'm a Spuffy fan from way back, but just the, the magical chemistry that plays out in that scene which I guess is entirely down to Sarah Michelle Gellar because Spike doesn't even say a word really right. in that scene. Right. Um, I don't know. Anyways, hot. It was hot. <laughs> um, what else do we have? Oh, I, I was going to say, cause you, you were talking about the, the Adam's role in this episode. And uh, yeah, first of all, in the last episode, I forgot to call out the, the um, silence of the lambs homage uh the f in um this year's girl they find the demon that's strung up between the two trees uh, yeah that apparently was an homage to the to the scene in silence of the lambs i just meant to okay okay that. it rem it reminded me of uh willow flaying warren oh, yeah. uh yeah a couple seasons from now yeah um but no that was a pretty gruesome image i was impressed i was for for whatever um for however poorly this show's special effects have aged, the 
makeup and like the practical effects, I think by and large are really good. Yeah, I think they do. I mean, you could you could make the Star Trek complaint where like all the demons or most of the demons just happen to be people with prosthetics on their foreheads or whatever. But I mean, what are you going to do? We've already talked about the budget that the show is operating. And, under. and I mean, we, we we saw them try and do a werewolf. Oh man, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Moving. Sorry on. to bring that back up. Man, that hurts. Um, yeah, just a uh, a final word about Adam in this uh, is that um, I feel like this episode. And I could be mistaken because, again, my memory is pretty shoddy. But I think, certainly up to this point, this is as close as Adam ever comes to being like genuinely interesting. When he is pondering the sort of paradox of vampires, um, like their immortality making them fear death even more than mortals fear death. That you are you already touched on it a little bit earlier, but yeah. I just feel like that's a very interesting dynamic to to thrust on adam to have him recognize and point out and and uh i don't i genuinely don't remember how philosophical adam remains for the rest of the season and if that kind of stuff comes back but and in that moment at least i was like all right adam's cool i'll be down with this um the coolest adam gets is in a uh, restless okay all right well i don't remember his role in restless he he appears in a dream sequence completely like just as a human just human yeah. um yeah as like a super spy um and he like slides a gun across the table to uh to riley okay all right or it might well, be xander cause i don't think riley's even in that episode hmm, poor riley because yeah he, he wouldn't he wouldn't be one of the core gang to uh have a dream yeah. have a dream sequence Okay. Oh, I guess one last thing, uh, just because in my notes it's in all caps, I wanted to point out, I, uh, in the Buffy-Faith fight in the church at the end, we get a callback to a shot from season three, from Consequences, when Faith staked Mr. Trick, when Mr. Trick was about to kill Buffy. Yeah. And Faith stakes him, and he turns to dust and reveals faith standing behind him with the stake. And we get a repeat of that scene here. Uh, visually it's the same scene, but of course it's Buffy. In, oh, in faith's body. I just love the, the very nice, you, you know me, Arlo, you love my whole, or you, you know, my whole obsession and love for mirroring and parallels yeah, and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And even though visually this is, this is just the same scene. I love the fact that it's, thematically a mirror shot because it's actually Buffy doing it. But yeah, I like it. I like it. So I think that's all I had. Um, one thing that I didn't notice, but that the internet points out to me okay. is that Joyce's credit card expires in May, 2001, which is the month Ooh. Buffy dies. Oh, the, Oh, that's when Buffy dies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I th I thought you were about to say that's the that's the date of the body or something like that and I would have been like yeah oh my god how have I never heard this before <laughs> Wow all right well somebody is paying attention yeah it, it always amazes me like how early on this show starts planting seeds and, mm -hmm. and like you alluded to earlier sometimes those seeds never blossom into anything but but yeah, it's 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 kind of fun going back and just 
seeing really early on um, how many hints are here and there about what's going to happen. Yeah. Okay, so uh, because I've chosen uh, and obstinately maintain uh, that I will make it all the way through Buffy before I ever start Angel, even though we are talk, even though I'm spoiling Angel as we go. I've promised that I'm going to track the crossover episodes as they happen. Um, we haven't had one for a while, but this, uh, in fact, I think it's, I don't remember how many episodes it's been, but anyways, uh, this is the first one in a while where this episode, and it's, it's not, it's only kind of barely a crossover. This episode ends with Faith riding out of town on, I, I assume it's a train car. Um, and the next time we see her is in uh, Angel episode, season one, episode 18, five by five which is for those that haven't heard me talk about it before. It's a pretty good episode. It's an episode I'm it's, fond of. Yeah, um, it really is. So I, I uh, literally cannot wait to get to that episode, but so that's where this picks up. Faith's story picks up from here uh, and crosses over. And I, I do kind of wish uh, this is something I'll obviously address more fully when once I start covering Angel, um, but uh, episode one nineteen of Angel Sanctuary, which is the follow up to Five by Five, um, see is is another crossover. It sees Buffy crossover, and I just I I get thematically how it works out, and as I've tried to remind myself, and many of my guests have reminded me, you know, these characters are supposed to be they're supposed to be human. They're young. They're supposed to be human. They're fallible. They make mistakes. They're not perfect all the time. But it still bothers me. I really wish that the sort of empathy that Buffy seems to have begun to develop for Faith in these episodes didn't feel like it was completely erased mm. <laughs> by the time she pops up over in Angel 119. Mm, that's fair. That's a fair point. But anyways. My favorite shot in this episode, in either of these episodes, uh -huh. is the, 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 the fade-in to it's so it's a close-up of buffy and then it fades into faith riding out of town and for a moment both characters faces are like transposed on the screen mm -hmm. and yeah that's yeah. brilliant and that's one of those moments of empathy i was talking about because that's uh riley saying yeah she's left i guess i guess she had her fun and that's that's buffy thinking very you know empathetically thinking yeah sure fun like she's uh, right you know she knows that this was not fun faith did not have fun doing any of this but yeah anyways so uh that was it uh two fantastic episodes um certainly uh i believe a high point uh for season four we'll find out what happened how i feel when we get to when i revisit um Restless. Um, I know Restless is, is one of the, the gold standards that so many fans hold up, but I, this, my memory is, is tiny. So I will say at the moment that uh, Who You Are is probably my favorite episode of the season. Even who above, are you? Even, what did I say? Who You Are. <laughs> sure. Whatever. You love the episode so much you don't even know what the I identify is. it with it so strong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who are you might be my favorite episode, even above restless, but we'll see when I get to restless, I could completely restless is, I mean, it's, it's a very different. Yeah. I mean, it's very different from any other episode of the show, but I mean, it's, it's, you have, 
a very special affinity for the character of Faith. Mm-hmm. So I completely understand how this episode hits you. But for me, Restless is the gold standard. I am I, one of the all-time great TV episodes. I don't, like I said, I don't think you're alone in that. I feel like a, a lot of people hold Restless up as one of the... People either really love Restless or tend to ignore it exists. Oh, I thought There's... you were going to say, I thought you were going to say really hate it. And I, uh, that, that baffles me. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say they hate it. I'm not sure I come, I've come across anyone who hates it, but there are, I've come across a number of people who are like, yeah, I don't get it. And they just, they, they just kind of ignore it and just move on to season five. Yeah. Well, it's not that far off, not that far no. away where it's coming up. So anyways, um, Arlo, man, it's, <laughs> it took a journey for us to get here, but I'm so glad, I'm so glad that we could bury the metaphorical hatchet <laughs> and that you could so join am me. I. Uh, so I'm glad we could bury the, the stake into the chest of the vampire that is this pot, that is that the animosity between the <laughs> two of us and have it crumble to dust as you hear a, a strange Wah! sound effect okay sure you worked pretty hard for that i'll let you have it <laughs> i thought it was effortless um anyways yeah uh i think uh, the seal's been broken so i i suspect you'll be back on the show at some point in the future then we'll see just so you know because you you made light of it at the top of the show i will tell you you were my first choice when the plans that i had set up for this episode fell through uh they actually fell through a few times like i worked really hard to try and make what i originally had for the, set up for this episode work and it just it, it wasn't gonna happen i was gonna have to push it at least another week and this episode has already been pushed a few times and my listeners may not believe me but i'm trying i'm trying to get back on track and put this out on a semi-regular basis so i had to make a choice and uh, you were the first person i reached out to my friend so dang see dang see i think i've grown i yeah (laughs) (laughs) anyways on that note arlo thank you for uh, agreeing to join me um absolutely thanks paul i i will uh i don't get to ask you this question very often so where can the people at home find you online man Oh my goodness. Um, so many places. Um, no, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Arlo likes movies. Um, I'm going to be honest. I've mostly like just been tweeting about game of Thrones the entire month of March. So that's not pretty much, that's pretty much what you're going to get. Um, but you know, Paul and I have a podcast, gobbledygeekpodcast.com at Geeks on Twitter, like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on iTunes. <laughs> All that jazz. Thanks, man. We just we just had a really great episode about Craig Thompson's modern classic graphic novel Blankets. So if that's oh, yeah? your bag, we've we've yeah, it's sounds, it's out there. Sounds it's good. downloadable. Sounds good. I'll have to check that out. Wrap yourself up in our warm and fuzzy podcast first it was a vampire and now it's a blanket yeah you're reaching you're reaching i'm i'm a smart person we we have another podcast uh uh that is 
it's I guess officially complete like we we finished what we set out to do and we had noble aspirations to continue it uh, with the various tie-in properties but that has not manifested so basically we have another podcast project with a beginning middle and a finite end uh, that's the avatar returns which is uh, Arlo and I and our friend Eric Sipple uh, made our way from the first episode all the way to the last through uh, the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender and the follow-up The Legend of Korra. Yes, we had a wonderful time doing that. It was fantastic. I really um, missed that show. So do I. And uh, one day when I get it all back online somehow, uh, there was also, I did with uh, with a couple other people, uh, Smoke It's In Your Ears, a Mad Men podcast, which... You know, I've got to say, so I, I was randomly, um, so I, I now have all of the, epi- they're, they're no longer online, but I have all of the episodes in my possession now. Right. So I'm figuring out how to, how to get it back online, yeah. but I was Googling it just to see, you know, what kind of presence we had at all. And like, I found a random Reddit post where someone said we were like the only Mad Men podcast they, they could listen to. <laughs> that's fantastic so yeah i, I mean, mean you guys thanks random reddit person i i'm super proud of the avatar returns I, I i've had a similar experience with the avatar returns where every once in a while i'll just go out and check because i'm just i think we did a great job and i will occasionally just come upon these random like reviews of the best the best avatar podcasts and uh last time i checked we were in the number two position on two different lists of the best avatar podcasts out there. Dang. So always um, the bridesmaid, never the bride. Yeah, exactly. But who's uh, number one? I, to be honest, I don't remember who cares. Sh- I stopped. I stopped how memorable. They are. I stopped looking when I got to number two. Cause it's all <laughs> anyways, um, I'll put links to both of those podcasts. Um, Excellent. You can, you humbly can in the show notes. You can link to my personal hard drive where all the episodes of Smoke It's In Your Ears are. Okay, I'll do that. So, uh, listeners, uh, thank you for your continued patience and understanding at the weird scheduling that uh, we have to do with this show. You can find links to this and all of the past episodes uh, at the website conswithdead.com, or you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. While you're there, please rate us or write us a review. If you have any questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to share your thoughts on anything we've discussed, please join the conversation. You can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at conswithdead, or reach out to us on the Facebook group, uh, which is Conversations with Conversations with Dead People. Not confusing at all. Um, Next, I'm I'm just going to say next week. I will laughingly say next week. next episode uh our mutual friend arlo um fan superstar and um smoke gets in your ears co-host ken edwards yay Yay! returns to conversations with dead people to discuss uh what else episode 417 superstar uh i mean superstar superstar and 418 where the wild things are so i guess that's what else but anyways He'll be here. Mostly superstar. Mostly superstar. Yeah. So uh, until then, Gur Arg, everybody. Gur Arg. I'm always on the top. Tonight I'm 